Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. When we look at violence within encampments, though, specifically, uh, we had two homicides in, in, in encampments last year. That's, that's not police bringing the violence. That's us being responding to the violence. We've had firearms. We've had stabbings. We've had people with Molotov cocktails. That's uh, Hamilton Chief of Police Frank Bergen uh, appearing before Hamilton City Council just a little while back uh, about the police budget. And every community is going through the same process uh, these last couple of weeks and months, uh, getting ready for the budgets for 2023. And the police budget is usually one of the biggest items there, and it's usually one of the most contentious items on just about every municipal budget uh, because of the cost and because of the pushback from the uh, defund the police movement. I, I know we don't hear that phrase a whole lot anymore, but there are still people who advocate for that and just think that uh, the police get way too much money and way too much power and uh, that that's the way things should be. That, you know, you've just got to cut back altogether. And that'll make us, a, a, well, they think a healthy or maybe even a safer community. Not so sure everybody agrees with that, but it's it's something that's out there anyway. Uh, joining us to talk about this is uh, Michael Kempa. Michael is an associate professor of criminology at the University of Ottawa who has studied uh, this, this to- topic very extensively. Uh, Michael, pleasure to have you back in the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Great. Thank you, Bill. Is, is, is defund the police still alive and well? Is that mindset still something that dominates the discussions these days? I wouldn't call it dominating uh, anymore. And I would say that the, the movement has begun to clarify what exactly different, I suppose, groups within that movement even mean by defund the police. At the beginning, uh, it was just sort of one message around reducing policing funding. And as we've gone on for a couple of years, it's become clearer that there are groups that are interested in funding policing properly, but diverting some monies to other community safety initiatives and a smaller number of people for whom it means basically abolish policing. Uh, Yeah, there are extremes, I guess, and with just about every movement in some way, shape or form, I would suppose. Uh, is, Is there a middle ground here? And because as you looked at the statistics here, as I have over the last little while, uh, anybody who might have even embraced this whole concept a couple of years ago uh, is probably very frustrated by the fact that in most municipalities that the police budgets have actually increased in the last number of years. Well, they have. And, uh, you know, what, what we've noticed is that there's sort of the history of the increase in police budgeting uh, before George Floyd in 2020, the tragic killing, the murder of uh, that individual in the United States by police officers and post George Floyd. So before George Floyd, the trend was very much, was always around 6% to 10%, depending on the municipality we're talking about. After George Floyd, after 2020, we've been down sort of around 2 to 3% in most municipalities, a few outliers. Montreal has been spending more than anybody for some reason, but it has slowed down. And as we've been coming out of COVID, high-profile instances of policing, uh, social protest, and so forth. We're just looking like we're speeding up what we're spending on policing again. One of the, the mantras, and you mentioned it, uh, you know, when you talk about people's perception of the quote-unquote defund the police movement, is the money should be redirected to other agencies, uh, social service agencies, public health agencies, things of this nature, affordable housing. I mean, there's a long list and, and all very worthwhile items. Is that happening in communities, though, Michael? Are councils redirecting some of that funds, assuming or hoping that this is going to solve part of the problem? Well, more on theory rather than in reality. So the provinces have required municipalities now to start developing community safety and well-being plans. 
And this has to do with guaranteeing all manner of types of security, housing security, food security, access to education and health services, and so forth. Now, these are great ideas, but obviously the money to pay for all of that goes beyond the municipal tax base. So if provinces are going to require cities to come up with plans in all of these areas, they obviously need to coordinate with the provinces about where the funding is going to come from and how provinces are going to coordinate these things across all of their cities. In other words, you can't have really advanced community safety and well-being in Toronto, but not in Hamilton. That wouldn't make any sense. But the reaction, I guess, to to, act, to some of the actions of police uh, probably are not helping the debate here or the situation, are they? I mean, well, you and I have talked extensively about what happened in Ottawa last February and, and mm. the negative reaction that the Ottawa police got a result of that. I mean, the chief eventually resigned. Uh, but to, to this day, I'm still hearing from folks up in that neck, neck of the woods uh, that they're disappointed at how police acted or didn't act in that particular situation. Uh, we see it happen here in Hamilton. Uh, you know, there, there's uh, police violence. Uh, officers are being charged under the Police Act. Uh, and, and that, I guess, evokes this response by an awful lot of circles, Michael, that, well, you know, if we just cut the funding, maybe the bad apples will go away. Is, is that even a sensible approach to, to the problem here? No. Cutting funding as a means to sort of starve out bad apples in policing uh, is just a wrong-headed approach entirely. Our problems in policing, you have to think about it in terms of a criminal justice system. Policing, courts, and corrections ought to be approached as an integrated set of issues. So we've had a number of concerns recently about bail reform, for example, mm-hmm. and the wrong people getting out uh ending trial and not being held on remand, which leads to violence in the community, violence against police officers. So we're talking about reforming that now, and that's a very important idea. That fits in the questions of reform of what we want to be doing with policing. We want to develop a policing model that fits in with those broader programs of community safety and well-being so that we really only are having sort of, I guess you could call them the real baddies that make their way in the criminal justice system are properly held in our limited capacity to hold people ending trial and after trial in prison while we do many other different things with police and community safety and restorative justice to deal with the more minor cases. In other words, keep your powder dry in the criminal justice system and use it where you need it. Is, is there a discussion going on, though, in communities about this, about who is drawn to, to police service? I know there's a lot of concern in the Ottawa service. Again, I go back to, to last year, February, uh, about some radical elements. Uh, they, you know, the, the suggestion that some of the police officers that were there on duty uh, were supportive uh, or at least sympathetic to, to what the protesters were doing, as opposed to what some people suggest that they should have been doing, which was, you know, enforcing the laws of the of the of the community. Uh, is that a problem? I know it was with the Ottawa Police Service last year. Is it a problem right across the country? Yes, and it's an unmeasured problem right now. This is, to me, a big preoccupation. We know we have a problem in policing. I mean, police chiefs are amongst the first to say. We either have a problem with systemic racism, we have sympathies to certain streams of far-right politics, but we haven't quantified it. we got to get in there in the same way we're doing with Canadian military, figure out the scope of the problem and the nature of the problem, who is sympathizing with what groups, in other words, and then you come up with a strategy to deal with the problem head-on that matches the measured reality. 
And if we don't measure it in the same way that we're doing with the military, we're really doing ourselves a disservice because then we're going to be designing programs that may or may not reflect our actual problem within the organizations. But but it's got to be, I would think, difficult for the, for them to tackle. I mean, because where do you begin? Uh, you know, it's not just, for instance, for a racist attitude. It's not just black versus white, uh, as example by the you know the Memphis officers that are charged with murder now uh, from a couple of weeks ago. Black Absolutely. officers uh, beating up a black man. They're, they're just within the system itself. There seems to be this mindset uh, towards some some groups, uh, racial, irrational, whatever the case might be. But it, it seems to exist, and and that's not to suggest. I know as, as you've talked to us about in past discussions that if you wear a police uniform, that you're racist. That's not a case at all. Uh, but there is that element in in, the, in some police services, and I don't know that they're doing a whole lot to address it. Well, no. And I mean, what determines the culture of the police organization as any professional milieu is what you do with your time to a great degree. So if you militarize policing and have sort of all of the softer aspects of community safety done by other agencies, but then you only have a police service that's dedicated to doing the hardest edge of policing all the time, you're going to start producing a culture that is pretty dark, that has a very bad view of human nature, uh, that starts to develop sympathy for political movements that work off that bad view of human nature. So at the same time, when we're talking about uh, let's invest more in community safety and well-being, you don't only want to have a police organization that does the hardest bits of community safety while everything else is contracted to other agencies. I'm an advocate for saying we need to integrate policing and restyle policing to fit in with our plans for community safety and well-being, to turn policing into a key pillar of community safety and well-being, and as far as possible, demilitarize our policing organizations, because what they end up doing with their time is going to shape their culture. There was an effort, Michael, some years ago to, as you say, uh, demilitarize, but at the same time move to what they call community policing. In other words, get officers out there, get out of the cruiser, walk the streets downtown, uh, you know, go into the schools, uh, uh, get people to understand that these are human beings, not just, as you say, a military figure in a uniform with a weapon. Uh, was it a successful attempt to, d to do something and did it make inroads? Well... You can say that we've been after community policing since the 1970s, but here we are in 2023, uh, still with many perceived and real problems in the community about policing. So a 50-year community policing revolution uh, is as yet incomplete. It hasn't brought about the desired results. So no, it hasn't been a success in that way. I lay a lot of the blame for that in that our planning for policing is very often completely separate from our planning for community safety and well-being. So just for example, if the city of Hamilton puts together a municipal plan for community safety and well-being, the municipality, the, the elected uh, government does that, but then the police services board all by itself develops a plan for policing with its chief of police, why would we think that the plan that the policing groups have come up with would be integrated with what the city has come up with for community safety and well-being? You obviously have to bring those things together and have a board that is aware of what the city is doing for community safety and well-being and make sure that what's going on with policing is aligned with city plans for community safety and well-being. 
to that end, I, I think there's a responsibility uh, for the public here, and, and certainly for the elected officials at the municipal level, uh, to understand what the process is here and who is responsible for what in circumstances like this. I, I just mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, there's a big debate going on here in Hamilton now about the size of the police budget. I guess that happens all the time. Uh, but, you know, city council seems to be under the impression that they can stop this process and vote against this. That's according to the police act. They don't really have that. I mean, it's almost a, a courtesy that the police actually present it to a, a local council, isn't it? Because uh, they can simply go and appeal this to binding arbitration. And, and my information anyway, Michael, I'm sure you have the numbers in front of you, or at least I've seen them recently, is no uh, municipality that's ever challenged a police budget is won at arbitration. The, the police always are uh, given the, the thumbs up in situations like that. So there's, there's a process in place here that that pretty much dictates that this is going to continue to increase simply because they seem to have you know the the the, the, the card stacked against it when it comes to trying to talk about uh, some of the individual parts of a budget yes if you appeal this the police budget to the uh, the relevant body which is the ocpc in ontario the answer very often comes back not only do they support the police budget they come in at another percentage or two even higher than what the police were asking for the other problem we have is at the end of the year, police typically go over budget and then municipalities are on the hook for that. There's no questioning. You just have to pay that bill. So what I'm a fan of is saying, OK, we obviously have a problem here. Please present us with a plan for how we are investing in remaking policing into a key pillar into community safety and well-being and explain how money invested today is going to lead to improvements and efficiencies one year, two years all the way up to five years down the road, we need a plan here so that we don't go over budget every year. We don't simply increase the budget every year. Let's be honest, give us the real number and explain to us how the real number is going to fit in with improved policing that's a key pillar in community safety and well-being over the next few years. And that that sort of openness and dialogue, I, I don't know if it's missing or if it's something that just gets glossed over because I, I, a lot of people are shocked by these numbers and without understanding exactly what the process is. Uh, and, and of course, the responsibility falls then on the police service board, which is supposed to be uh, some members of city council, certainly, but, uh, but citizen members at the same time. Uh, is that an effective tool or is it just a rubber stamp as some people accuse them of? Well, it's a rubber stamp if they don't have the training or resources they need to do this very difficult work. And that has been the unfortunate situation for 25 years uh, in Ontario and across Canada is that these boards in review after review have been shown to not have the training skills or resources they need to do this very difficult work of managing a hundreds of millions of dollars enterprise staffed by strong personality people that often push them around when they try to ask questions or dig into the budget a little bit. So I also think it's time to get serious about staffing those police services boards with what they need to do this very important public interest work. I'd also say, I tell my students all the time, most people when they debate policing do so in very emotional and symbolic terms. So it's either you will not touch $1 of, the, of our police budget, or you will completely disband the police uh, and there's no room for discussion in between. I'm very much an advocate of saying, you know, we have to get a little bit practical here and say, what's the five-year plan? Because otherwise, we're just doomed to repeat annually this very limited debate that never goes anywhere, while budgets just seem to go up 2 to 3% every year with no particular long-term plan in place. Professor Michael Kempke from the University of Ottawa, a very necessary conversation. Michael, thanks as always for the time. Really appreciate it. 
Thank you kindly. Take care. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.